Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for how you've been with uh, Pastor Ray and, and, and Mom and stuff out west, Lord, and how you've just worked through them and blessed them. And, and, uh, and I just thank you for the opportunities you've given them, Jesus, out there to to minister to other churches, and we thank you for how there's this huge hunger really springing up, especially in Western Canada right now, churches wanting to hear your voice, wanting to be touched by you, wanting to become praying churches, and we thank you for that, and we pray that we would become a church worthy of being part of a movement like that, that we would also be a praying, seeking church, and Jesus, we also pray for those of us here today now for the message this morning. Uh, Jesus, if you don't speak to us, then nothing happens. And I just pray, Jesus, every person here this morning, every single one sitting here right now, that you are going to touch us and give us some spiritual meat and speak to us. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. So uh, two weeks ago I started the Joseph series, so today is, is part three of that series. And basically what we've been doing is we've just been uh, working our way through the, the story verse by verse. So the Joseph story, story starts in Genesis chapter 37, and so we've been working our way through that. Uh, chapter 38 has nothing to do with Joseph, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, jump over that one, and we'll get to verse 1 of chapter 39 today, but that's all I'm doing in this series. I'm just working my way through. Now, it, it, it goes all the way to chapter 50. It's taken me three weeks to get through chapter 37. You can kind of figure out, I'm not going to do Joseph for the next five years, okay? So I'm not saying we'll get right to the end, but that's all we're doing for those of you who haven't been here the last couple weeks. We're just working our way through the Joseph story, and it's amazing. I just love it. Uh, as, a, as a pastor getting to preach this stuff, it's all here. I don't have to make it up. And you just work your way through these stories, and it's just so rich. It is so rich with stuff that is for your life and my life, and God speaks to us, and I just love God's Word. That's, I love that song. That first song we sang today actually was written by, by Zach, the guy with the white tie here, who looks a lot like Ray Yoder, funnily enough, but, but, uh, but he, he writes a lot of our uh, worship music and stuff, and I just love that song. Your Word is light. Your Word is truth. Uh, God's word is alive and it speaks to us and so as we work through this story again today we're going to finish off chapter 37 and I'm just going to pick up where we left off last week which is in verse 31 you'll recall Joseph has been thrown into a pit and sold into slavery and now they're covering it up with with Jacob their dad right so let's just start reading and let's see what God has for us this morning then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put, on sackcloth, put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And, and you know, just reading this passage, and again, and again it, one of the things I'm trying to do in this story is, is many of these stories, we've read them so many times, we're just sort of deadened to the story. We just read them, they don't impact us because we just know how it ends. Oh yeah, okay, Joseph, but he's not really dead, Jacob, we're not worried about it because we know in the end everything turns out good. But we have to stop and feel this story or we're going to miss the force of what the Holy Spirit is saying to us for our lives. And so here is Jacob mourning, tearing his clothes, and any of you here today who is a parent, you know this is every parent's worst nightmare. I mean, to lose a child to death 
or to lose a child. Now, in this case, Jacob doesn't know that Joseph's been sold into slavery. He thinks he's dead. But whether you lose a child to death or whether you lose a child to, you know, kidnapping or slavery or, or something terrible like that, that's every parent's worst nightmare. I mean, uh, and if you're a parent here, no doubt you share that with me. I know, uh, you know, they make these movies sometimes about, you know, someone's kid gets kidnapped or taken or whatever. You know, those kind of movies are just for me the worst because I can't, what would I do if my kids got kidnapped? I'd I'd go nuts, right? I mean, that's your, that's our worst nightmare. You know, your kid gets stolen away from you and something happens to them or, or a terrible accident happens to them when you, when you're not watching or when they're away from you. And, and that's everybody's, that, I mean, that's just as a parent, that's the worst thing. And that's what we see Jacob going through here. And, you know, the really sad thing is on the slavery side, I, I just want to rabbit trail here for just a second. The really sad thing on the slavery side, because, you know, sometimes we read, we read these stories as well. We're so familiar with them. They're so old. And, and we just kind of think, oh, that was in a, you know, Joseph getting sold into slavery. And we don't think about the real life uh, implications of that. The, and, and the sad thing is that this whole slavery thing is still happening in the world today. Like, what Joseph is going through in this book, it's not like, oh, that was back in Bible times. And somehow magically, you know, in the last 3,600 years, human beings have gotten better and we're just better than we used to be and we used to be evil and now we're not so evil. Slavery is still alive and well today. And the experience Jacob is going through here is a lot of parents are still going through that all around the world every day today. And uh, whether it be for the child dying or chi- child being kidnapped or stolen or put into slavery, I looked up some stats uh, this week that were just astonishing. The best estimates right now uh, for slavery in the world is that right now around the world there are about 30 million human beings in slavery right now. I mean, that is a mind-boggling number. That's the population of Canada, the equivalent of people right now, many of them women and children, right now. It's hard for us to comprehend. We sit here in our seats. It's comfortable. You got a coffee in your hand. It's Sunday. The weather's nice. We're going to go home and do whatever this afternoon. It's the weekend. And it's hard for us to comprehend. But right now, as we sit here comfortably, 30 million people in slavery. Um, you know, the U.S. government, their best estimates, 600,000, 800,000 people, mostly women and children, are kidnapped and sold into slavery, trafficked, many of them in the sex trade, every year, 600,000, 800,000. I mean, these, these are just mind-numbing uh, numbers. And, and so this story is relevant. You know, I hear some people sometimes talk about, you know, the Bible isn't relevant. You know, 30 million slaves around the world right now, you read them this story, and it's immediately relevant to them, isn't it? I mean, I mean 30 million slaves right now, you read them the story of Joseph, and they're in the story right away. They're like, what happens? Does God turn us for good? Where is God in all this? It's relevant. Millions of parents today, not just, you know, parents of those who have been sold into slavery, parents of those who have been kidnapped and taken from them. That is happening all around the world today. But not just them, but parents who have lost, you know, kids to accident, car accidents and various things. I mean, these stories are hugely, hugely relevant. The Bible is still very relevant today. But sometimes we get deadened to that in the familiarity. And, you know, even to those of us who haven't, you, you know, most of you sitting here today have not had, you know, you haven't had a kid stolen, sold into slavery. That's, that, that's not something that's happened to you. And most of you here today haven't lost, although we do have people in this church who have lost children in accidents and various things. Now, that's an that's a awful a burden to have to bear and a big thing. But you might be sitting here today, most of you here today haven't experienced those awful things, and you might be wondering, well, okay, I get that this story is, re- is relevant to all of them, but is it relevant also to me? S- certainly it's relevant to those who are suffering, but is it relevant to me, this whole thing of, you know, Jacob tearing his clothes and mourning and all that sort of stuff? And I would say, yes, it is certainly also relevant to all of us, even if we haven't gone through that. And the reason is this, because all of us as parents worry about our kids. 
Isn't that true? I mean, this story really speaks to all parents. It, it speaks to parents who are right in the midst of a crisis like that, but it also speaks to all parents because if you're a parent, there's one thing I know I share in common with pretty much all parents is we worry about our kids. We love them, so we worry about them. We worry, well, what's going to happen when they're older? Are they going to follow Jesus? What's gonna ha- what happens to them when they go to school and I'm not watching them? Are they, you know, hanging out with good influences or bad influences? What happens to my kids when they move out? What happens to my kids when they go to university? What happens to my kids, you know, you're sending someone off to kindergarten for the first time. What happens when they walk to school by themselves, right? We worry about our kids. What happens to them when I can't see them? What happens to them when they're on the bus? What happens when I can't protect them? What happens when they're not in my house anymore, all right? And, uh, and so we worry about our kids, and this story speaks to that. The story about Jacob and Joseph speaks to that worry. It speaks to us parents, even those of us who aren't in a crisis. Now, of course, it doesn't speak to us, you know, about those things in the way we would like it to speak to us. The Bible rarely does. You know, we would like, as parents, isn't this true? We would like the Bible to speak to us and give us a promise. We would like to read the Joseph story, and we'd like to read the Psalms, and we'd like to read the Bible, and we'd like to find a promise in here that God will never let anything bad happen to our kids. Isn't that the promise we'd like to find? Like, it's got to be in here somewhere, right? Like, Chris, tell me that the, that the promise in the Joseph story is that nothing bad will ever happen to my kids, and then my worry can go away, right? Because we have this worry. We all carry around worry for our kids. How are they going to turn out? Will they love Jesus? Will they go to heaven? We're worried about these things, and what we'd like to find in the Bible is, here's a promise for you parents. If you love God, everything will go good with your kids. They'll be safe. They'll love Jesus, and they'll turn out good, and that's the end of the story, happily ever after, and that is not how the Joseph story speaks to us, okay? The reality is, as we find in the Joseph story, is that bad things do happen to our kids. That's one of the morals of the Joseph story. That's one of the morals. That's one of the things we learn in the Joseph story. That's one of the things we find right throughout Scripture, is that bad things do happen to our kids. See, here's the thing. We're living in, and you go, oh, that's terrible. I mean, I came in here worried, and now you've just, you know, poked the buttons, and you made me more worried. Thanks for, I'm glad I came to church this morning, okay? I mean, that's the moral, right? Jacob and Joseph. Jacob loves Joseph, you know, and and Joseph's a good kid, and bam, one day he's gone, and he doesn't come back, kidnapped into slavery. Bad things do happen to our kids, and, the, you know, the world is broken right now, and people think, well, that, you know, that's just so horrible, that's so terrible to say that God would let bad things happen to our kids. That's the reality of the broken world we live in. That's the reality of the broken world we live in. I just quoted you some stats. 30 million people in slavery right now, 600 to 800,000 new slaves kidnapped and trafficked every year, many of them women and many of them children. The fact of the matter is, it's a broken world, and God does let bad things happen to our kids. You say, that's terrible. Yes, it is terrible. And God weeps over it. And someday he's going to come back and he's going to fix it. Praise God. But until that day, we are living in a broken world. And by the way, as one other short little rabbit trail here, I, you know, I, one of the things I, I, that bugs me is so many Christians in churches today, they think it's weird the moment anyone ta- wants to talk about the end times, the moment they want to talk about Jesus coming back. That's a weird topic. Let's not talk about it. Weird? The world is suffering on a massive scale. Children are suffering on a massive scale. Women, men, slavery is just one 
tiny piece of the pie of the horrors and the wickedness that are happening in our world right now, and it's weird to talk about Jesus coming back? That's our hope. That should be like our favorite thing to talk about. You read the New Testament authors, every single one, no exception, talks a lot about Jesus coming back. That's what, because that's our hope. But the reality is, in the meantime, so until Jesus comes back, though, when he comes back, he puts everything right. That's not weird. That's awesome. I hope it's really soon. I think it is coming soon. I think there's good reasons for believing it's coming soon. But we should desire that. We should talk about that. We should pray for that. But in the meantime, we're living in a broken world. And so long as we're living in a broken world, here's another moral from the Joseph story, is God doesn't shield his people from the brokenness that's in this world. The world is broken. There's cancer in the world. There's slavery in the world. There's murder in the world. There's all these things that hurts people. There's hatred. There's anger. There's persecution. And all of these things are in the world because the world's broken, and they will continue to be in the world until Jesus comes back. And because they're in the world, God doesn't shield his people from those things until he fixes it. So in the meantime, what that means is, if there's cancer in the world, that means some of God's people are going to have to have cancer. And if there's slavery in the world, that means some, some of God's people are going to have to be in slavery. Joseph had to go that route. And kids are dying in this world, that means some of God's people are going to lose their kids. The moral of this story is, yes, bad things can happen to your kids. If I dismissed you right now, we could all go home and just cry about that. <laughs> so you say, well, is there any hope in this story? So surely there's going to be something good in this story that we can have hope. And the answer is yes, there is hope in this story. But it is not a hope built on a fantasy of God's going to protect me and my kids from all pain and suffering in this world. That is nowhere in Scripture until Jesus comes back. Once he comes back, woohoo, yes, no more of that. That is coming. But in the meantime, that's a fantasy, and so long as you have that dream, so long as you have the wrong dreams for your children and the wrong dreams for yourself, there's no hope in the Joseph story for you. There's no hope in the Bible for you. There's only hope in this story for you, and, and there's only hope in this story for your kids when you have the right dreams. See, so many parents today have the wrong dreams for their kids. It's true. And it's not that they dream terrible things for their kids. It, in fact, many of the things they dream for are good things, but they're just not the best things. And so they have the wrong dreams for their kids. And so long as you have the wrong dreams for your kids, then reading the Joseph story will not take away your worries. It'll just add to them. And you say, well, what, what are some of the wrong dreams? Well, and, and, and that are good things. Well, I mean, some parents, what do they dream for their kids? Their dream is for their kid or kids to be successful at sports. Now, is it bad for your kids to play sports? Not at all. I think sports is a wonderful thing. Sports is a wonderful place to learn character. Sports is a wonderful place to get exercise. I mean, I, my, my four-year-old son, Charlie, played uh, soccer this year, and I was his soccer coach, okay? And somehow the team made it through the year, okay? Um, <laughs> so I'm not against sports. I'm not against kids playing sports. It's wonderful, okay? There's lots of wonderful things in sports. But if your dream is, my kid, I'm, I'm going to pour all my focus and time and energy, and you might not consciously say this, but you can see it in your time, you can see it in your money, you can see it in the way you, you act and react to wins and losses and all that sort of stuff. If your dream is, my kid's going to make it to a certain level of fill-in-the-blank, hockey or this or that. If that's your dream for your kid, there is no hope for you 
in Scripture that's going to take away your worries or in this Joseph story that's going to help you have more peace as a parent. Or if you're a dream now, some of you are sitting there very smugly. Ho, oh, ho, he's nailing those sports people. Way to go, Chris. And uh, meanwhile, you have dreams for your kid to be real good at music. No, don't touch it, right? Stay on the hockey people. They're the ones with the problem in Steinbeck, right? That's what we like to think. But your whole dream is just focused on your kid being excellent at music. Is music bad? No. Are my kids in music? You betcha. I love it. Music is wonderful. Music is from God. It's wonderful to encourage your kids in those things, just like sports. But if your dream is that and you're invested in that, I want my kid to be good at music. Or maybe your dream is for your kid to go on to university and get an education. That's your whole dream. Because you want your kids to have it better than you did. Don't a lot of people live that? I was poor. I didn't have everything I wanted or needed when I was 25. I want my kids to be better off. And I have this dream, and I'm just focused on this dream that they're going to go to university, they're going to get a degree, they're going to be important, they're going to have a good job. Is there anything wrong with kids going to university? Is there anything wrong with encouraging your kids to go to university or get a good job? Not at all. But if that's your dream, there's no hope in this story for you. You're going to carry worry and anxiety with you about your kids to your grave. Because those are, they might not be bad things, but those are the wrong things. You don't, the wrong dreams. You don't think Jacob had dreams for Joseph? You don't think Jacob had dreams for Joseph? I mean, Joseph was his favorite. Joseph was 17 years old. You don't think Jacob had dreams for Joseph? You better believe Jacob had dreams for Joseph. He loved Joseph. Joseph was his his pride and joy. This is his star kid. He had so much future ahead of him, and one day he says goodbye, he's gone, he never comes back. So let me ask you something. Are your dreams for your kids the kind of dreams that if they were taken for you tomorrow, and remember, there is no promise in the scriptures that one of your kids won't be gone tomorrow. You won't find that one. That's not the kind of comfort I'm here to give you today. I will give you the future comfort of someday there will be no more tears or crying or pain. But in the meantime, your kid could be gone tomorrow. Are your dreams for your kids such that if your kid was gone tomorrow, your dreams for them would be shattered? Because if your dreams for your kids are such that they would be shattered if they were gone from you tomorrow, they're the wrong kind of dreams. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, if your kid was gone tomorrow, you've got to be in a place where you'd be okay with that. No, no. Of course, losing a child like Jacob was shattered. Shattered. That's an awful experience. And you're going to mourn and grieve, and it's hideously painful. And I hope I don't have to go through that, but the Bible doesn't tell me I, I won't. I'm not talking about not grieving. But are your dreams the kinds of dreams for your kids that if they were gone tomorrow, that's it? Or something they got injured? Or something happened to them? Or they were in an accident that your dreams for them would be shattered? If so, you've got the wrong kind of dreams. And the Bible will have no hope for you and the the Joseph story will have no hope for you because Jacob had dreams for Joseph and then the next day he was gone. So you say, what's the right dream for my kid? Because if you do have the right dream for your kid, then this story has so much good news for you. Say, what's the right dream for my kids? Well, here's the right dream. If your biggest dream, okay, it's not that you just have to have one dream for your kid. And, and, and of course, you can enjoy sports. And maybe they're good at that. Or maybe they're good at music. Or maybe they're good at whatever. And, and they should go to university. I'm, I'm not saying those are bad things to have. But all of those dreams must be puny and tiny and discardable compared to the one dream that really matters. And what's the one dream that really matters? 
the one dream that really matters, the one dream that must dwarf them all, the one dream where when you go to prayer, it's like, God, I would trade all of those other things. i trade it all. i trade all that talent, all that opportunity, all those A's on the report card. I would trade all of the house. I would trade everything. I would trade it all in for this one thing, and that is this, that my kids would love you and know you, obey you, and follow you. That's it. That has got to be the one dream that dwarfs them all. That has got to be the one dream where occasionally when you're praying, you literally say, Lord, I gladly give up, and you stop praying. Because so often we're praying about the details on all the little dreams that don't matter compared to the one big one. If this really is the big one, this is where most of your prayers will be attracted. And there have got to be times in your prayer time where you look at these things and you say, Lord, I gladly give you all of those if my child would just experience you and know you and love you. That's the right dream to have for your kids. When you can get worked up about that dream, this story starts to give you hope. You know what's the beauty of that dream? Lord, I want my kids to love you and know you and experience you. You know what's the beauty of that dream? It's God's dream too. When you get that dream for your kids, you just your dream and God's dream just got on the same page, and when that happens, you're the winner, okay? See, as long as you have other dreams for your kids, your dreams are often going to be totally at odds with God's dreams. That's not, a, that's, not a, that's not a fight you can win. Sovereign king of the universe, I want my kid to go to university. I want him to go so bad. And you have all the good reasons in your mind why they should go. They need a better job. They're going to do better in life. Blah, blah, they're smart. Da, da, da. And you have, have you ever checked with God? Did you know that your kids actually don't belong to you? They belong to him? And you're all pumped about this dream, which on the outside isn't sinful and it looks good. You're so pumped. He's going to take over the family business when I'm gone. He's going to get to a certain level of hockey. He's going to go to university and become a doctor. And you're so pumped and everybody thinks, that's a good dream. What a good thing. We need Christians to be doctors. And we need Christians to be business people. And you never stop to talk to God. What is his dream for your kid? He owns them. And he might say, I didn't make them for that. I didn't make her for that. And they're mine. And you will be fighting. So long as those dreams are taking precedence in your life, you will have stress and friction in your life, and often it'll hurt your relationship with your kids because you will be fighting against God himself. And you'll wonder, my kid's just not going along with it. And really, it's God at work in your kids. And it's you that won't go along with his plans. They're his kids. And your dreams need to match up with his. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of the Joseph story. And where the Joseph story gives us so much hope. When your dream matches up with God's dream, remember, false hope is, God, I don't want anything to ever happen bad to my kids. God says, I won't promise you that. I will not promise you that. You won't find that here in Scripture. I will not promise you that before Jesus comes back, I won't, that I won't allow something bad to happen to your kids. You say, well, where do I get hope? You have got to get a hope that is based on something good is happening to my kids even when bad things happen to them. And when your dream becomes, oh, Lord, I want them to know you and experience you, that dream is bigger than bad events. And then there's tons of hope in this story. And I want to just look at this thing again from the perspective of a parent. I want you to think about how this story gives you hope. When you have the right dreams for your kids, this story has so much hope for you as a parent, and let's think about it from, let's think about it from a parent's perspective. Okay? Joseph is 17 years old. 17 years old. Now, when I was 17 years old, I thought I was all that. 
I thought I was all grown up and I knew it all. And it took me a few years to figure out I knew nothing and I was a baby when I was 17, okay? But when you're 17, you can't figure it out. And if you're 17 here today, that's great. You're totally wrong about yourself, but you'll figure it out. <laughs> we all go through it, okay? We all do it. It's fine. Don't worry. You have to experience it. Don't, I can't teach it to you anyway. But anyway, so it's 17. 17, when you're 17, you're old. But when you're later on, you find out that when you're 17, you're not old. And you parents know that a 17-year-old is not old. And this teenager gets ripped from his father's protection and influence and he gets sent. Where does he get sent? To Egypt. You know, you know, he's not just getting sent anywhere. He's getting sent to Egypt. You know what Egypt was? Egypt was a filthy, lustful, pagan, occultic culture. I mean, of all the places you don't want your 17-year-old boy, he is, your 17-year-old boy is getting ripped out of your influence and your house and your protection. He's getting taken away from church. He's getting taken away from all his Christian friends. And he is getting put in the middle of a black hole where he's going to have major sexual temptation and major pagan influence. I'll tell you right now, that is the last place we parents want our 17-year-old boys to go. Is that not true? I mean, that's the place we fear the most. I mean, we just think the only way this kid's going to turn out good is if I keep him from all of that. I got to keep him. Oh, Lord, don't let anyone, you know, show him pornography. Don't let anyone tempt him in this. Don't let anyone, you know, hurt his self-esteem. This, this kid, 17-year-old kid, is going to be made a slave. He's going to be degraded. He's going to be humiliated. And he's going to be put in the middle of a sinful pit where there's no church and no good friends and no family to encourage him to do right. What are his chances there? What are Joseph's chances there? What 17-year-old boy has any hope of turning out good in circumstances like that? That's the hope of the Joseph story. I told you this thing has hope when you have the right dreams. Joseph goes into the middle of that pit and not only does he not fall apart, he rises above and becomes a godly hero for all of us, for all of history. A 17-year-old boy, all by himself, no church, no good friends, no good influences, goes into the middle of lust and paganism and rises above it to be a man of integrity and godliness. That's the hope of this story. Now, how does it happen? That's the thing. How does it happen? How does he make it there? Is it because of Jacob's parenting? Is it because he's a super spiritual giant, just naturally? No. Genesis 39 tells us. So we fin we're finishing up Genesis 37 now. We're skipping over 38 because Joseph isn't in that. And then here's Genesis 39, verse 2, tells us, gives us the hope when your dreams are right for your kids. Here's the hope of this story. Even when bad things happen, Genesis 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. That is a massive ship, train, truck full of hope for godly parents. Because you could rip, you could rip Joseph away from all the protective influences of his home, you know, his family, of godly people. You can put him in a place where not a single person believes in the one true God. And Jacob's not with him, good influence isn't with him, but God was with him. Bad things happened to him. He was sold into slavery. Nobody would want that for their kids. Well, one of the worst things that could happen to someone, and as a parent, you would never want that to happen to your kids. And yet, even though that worst possible thing happened to Joseph and Jacob, God was with him. 
And when your dream is just that your kid will love God, not the worst things in the world can happen to your kid and your dreams won't be shattered for them because your dreams are bigger than those bad things. Your dream is for your kid to love God. See, too often when it comes to kids, we give all the credit in the wrong places. This is part of the root of our worry. I'm going to go right to the root of why parents are worry about their kids wrongly. And part of it is we take too much credit, too much blame. When our kids are good, we take all the credit. Isn't that true? So you get lucky with personality and a few different things, and whoop, my kids are good. And everybody, go, everybody tells you, oh, you're such good parents, and it just goes straight to our heads. And they're right. We, th- we feel like it. Oh, I'm such a good parent. And when our kids turn out bad, we take all the blame. Isn't that true? When our kids are good, we take all the credit. When our kids are bad, we take all the blame. And both those things are rooted in the same thing. We think how our kids turn out is all dependent on us. And that is the root of so much of our worry. But what we find in the Joseph story, do you know that the the Bible doesn't give Jacob one ounce of credit for Joseph turning out right? In fact, the Bible tells us almost nothing about Jacob's parenting except that he played favorites, which is bad. I mean, if anything, we look at the, 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 the scanty picture of Jacob's parenting that we have from the Scripture, and the only thing we learn from it is that he's probably not a great parent. So the, but the Bible doesn't tell us. Joseph went to Egypt, and he thrived and became a man of God because of the years of godly training and wonderful parent, parenting that Jacob did. That's not what the Bible tells us. And by the way, godly parenting is important. Hugely important, okay? Hugely, hugely important, and our parenting certainly does impact our kids, but there's something bigger at work here than our parenting, and that's why we have the worry. Yes, our parenting is important. Yes, our parenting hugely impacts our kids. Yes, we have to train our kids up in godliness. You can read Deuteronomy 6. The Bible's clear about that. We do have a responsibility to our kids, but here, if you stop there, you're gonna be, you're gonna carry a heavy burden all your life of pressure and condemnation and guilt. If you just stop at my kids, my parenting is so important because I'm going to influence my kids. If you just stop there, you're going to carry a crushing burden around all your life as a parent. Because what you have to realize is, yes, your parenting is important, but there's something much bigger needed than just your parenting. Joseph was ripped out of Jacob's hands. He goes over into Egypt, this horrible place, and he turns out great, not because of Jacob. Oh, it's so freeing. Because this this story would be depressing if the reason Joseph turned out good was because Jacob's parenting was so good. Because then all of us would have to work really, 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 really hard and worry all the time, are we doing good enough to have our kids turn out? That is not what the Bible says. Nothing to do with Jacob in this case because God is bigger than our parenting. He's bigger than our parenting. Joseph gets ripped out of Jacob's protective place and he gets brought over here to the worst place. You would think no 17-year-old could survive it, and he thrives there because God was with him. And this isn't just me taking, you know, one little verse and taking it out of context. If you ask the Bible, why did Joseph turn out good? This is what Genesis 39 tells us four times. You can scot it up there. Thanks, Egan. Four times. Never once does it mention Joseph turned out good because of Jacob's parenting, even though parenting is important. I'm not, I am not putting down. Parenting is important. Do we have to train up our kids? Do we have an impact on our kids? Yes, yes, yes. But there's something bigger and more needed. That is God. 
Joseph turned out good because, verse 2, the Lord was with him. Verse 3, the Lord was with him. Verse 21, the Lord was with him. And verse 23, because the Lord was with him four times. Genesis 39 is screaming to us. Joseph did not turn out good because Joseph was super spiritual, this all-star. He was a normal person just like you and me. And he didn't turn out so amazing because his dad was a superstar, all-star. He turned out amazing because God was with him. And that should give you as a parent tremendous hope. Tremendous, tremendous hope. Because if it depends, if my kid's future depends on me, they're in trouble. Isn't that true? I mean, I'm just, I'm talking real personally now. I mean, you might look up at me, okay, well, there's Pastor Chris and he, he's always on stage and preaching so he knows everything because he's preaching it all. So he's obviously a perfect parent, you know, probably basically. And, and that's only because I don't tell you, I don't get up here every week and tell you all the times I screwed up in the last seven days, okay? That would be my wife's sermon. We could have like a service three. And the dawn preaches about how Chris screwed up this last week again, okay? But you, so you just see this side of me, oh, he, see, he's got it, his kids, he doesn't have to worry because he's got it. You know what? We're all messed up. There is no superhumans anywhere. And if my kids, Joy, Charlie, and Eden, if their eternities are completely resting on me being a good enough parent, they are done. And so the hope is that and you can't carry that burden with you. So many parents are carrying this around that it's all up to me. If my parenting is good enough and spiritual enough and godly enough and pray, I pray enough and I do listening prayer with them enough and all these things are really, really good and they're all important and I do them all with my kids. But we carry this burden that if I do them all enough, then my kids will turn out good and if I don't, they won't. That is a crushing burden no parent can carry. None of us have the shoulders to carry our children's eternities. We can't carry that. And so the hope of this story is God went with Joseph. That should explode into a prayer in our hearts. Oh God, I'm so messed up, but would you go with my kids? Oh God, I, I screw up all the time. I don't pray enough. I don't love you enough. I sin. I get mad. I'm impatient. God, I'm showing them such a bad example. I'm worldly. I get distracted. Oh Jesus, in spite of all this, would you get a hold of my kids? It's him that has to carry that burden ultimately and that's the hope of this story. God did do that in Joseph because ultimately, here's the thing you need to know, only God can give your kids the desire to do right. Did you know that? Only God can. You can, you can work on the behavior and discipline and do this and do all the right things and do all the right steps. You can do all of that and in the end, all you can do is work with the externals. You can't get inside your kid's heart and make them want to do right. Any of you who has a kid older than five, you know, months old knows that. Five years old for sure. You figure out that I can work with the externals. I can make them do right, but I can't make them want to do right. By the way, this is biblical. We jump out of Genesis for just a second, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who works in you to give you the desire to do what pleases God. As a parent, you can't do that. You actually can't make your kids want to do right. The sooner you figure out that out, the sooner your burdens get a, get, a, get a whole lot lighter. You can't make your kids want to love God. You can tell them about God. You can tell them about loving God. You can show them how you love God. But you can't make your kids love God. It's impossible. 
Only God can work inside of them to give them a love for God. You can't make your kids experience God. I know parents who they feel guilt because they do listening prayer with their kids and their kids don't hear God. And I just say to them, you're not God. Well, my kids don't hear God. Well, yeah, you can't make that happen. When you speak to them, that's not God. So you can't make them hear God. You can't make them experience God. That's in God's timing. You can show them the things. That's so excellent. You've got to show them that you know, they can listen. You've got to show them how to be quiet. You've got to show them all those tools. But in the end, all of those things are useless if God himself doesn't show up. See, and we would love, we would love, you know, this parenting thing is a whole lot more about trust than we give it credit for. This parenting thing is a whole lot more about trust than we give it credit for. We would love to reduce parenting to a formula. Here's five steps to have somebody else's kids, right? Isn't that true? Well, we read a book. And by the way, I love the parenting books. Me and LaDawn, I read parenting books for sure once a year. We read parenting books. I love them. It's so important. It's such an important skill. And if parenting is an important duty, we've got to do it. I'm not putting down parenting. I'm just showing you there's something bigger. God is bigger than your parenting. And you have to, you have, to have that understanding or your parenting will be a burden that will break you. So, but we read these books. And of course, nobody who writes a book about parenting has bad kids. Nobody writes a book who's totally messed up their kids. And, and they just write that. So we look, if I do this, 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 and this, and do this, and teach them that, and do this with them, and this prayer technique, and blah, blah, then I'm going to have so-and-so's kids. It doesn't work that way. It's not a formula. Did you know, even if you did everything right, even if you did, and that's impossible, but even if you did, there's still no guarantee your kids would turn out right. Look at Adam and Eve. God was their only father, and they still were messed up. So you can do everything right. It's not a formula, okay? So on the one hand, this is hope. It's hope because it doesn't all depend on me. It's hope because Joseph went to a far place where his dad, daddy couldn't protect him and daddy couldn't look after him and he still turned out good because God was with him. It's hope because of that. But there's a flip side to the hope and that is this should drive us deep into dependency. Oh, this should drive us so deep into dependency as parents because the hope is it's not all about, it's not all dependent on me. The dependency is it's not all dependent on me. God, you have to do something. See, proud parents have no dependency. They think, if I do X, Y, Z, it's all going to work out good for my kids. And they're just so confident in it. And their kids, they got the right personality kids, and their kids are all good when they're little. And they think, yeah, it's all great. My kids went to church all the time. And then they're 25, and they're not anywhere to be seen in church. What happened there? I'll tell you what happened there. As parents, we can only do one thing. We can throw seeds on the ground. That's it. We put seed after seed after seed. We put a layer of seed on the ground of our kids' hearts, but we can't make the sun shine on those seeds to make them grow. And we can't make the seeds go into the soil, which is their hearts. And we can't make the seeds take root and take hold and bear fruit. We can't do any of that. We can just throw seed on the ground. After that, it's all God. When you realize that, there's a quick burst of hope of, oh, it's not all about me. Then there's a quick burst of, I need to pray. God, you need to show up. Because God, I've done my best, but if you don't show up, they're doomed. I can do prayer with them, I can do devotions with them, I can do this and that with them, but if you don't wake them up, they're doomed. When that gets into your heart, hope and dependency at the same time. Hope and dependency at the same time. Suddenly you realize how much you need God and how much your kids need God. And you know, the surest sign that you're, you know, a lot of parents are actually just proud. Some are broken. They need the whole part. Some are just proud. They need the dependency part. I'll just tell you a quick, quick sign. 
it, how to know if you're a proud parent. You're a proud parent if you, think, if you think everybody else, you could fix their kids. You're a proud parent if you're one of those people that every time someone has a problem, you just think, well, give me that kid for a week and I'd have him, have him in shape. And sometimes it might be, now sometimes there is just bad parenting, discipleship is needed, and you do know some things that would help. But if that's how you always feel towards everyone, like if they would just do this, if they would be that, if they would do that, then their kid would turn out right like mine, that's a proud parent. Here, a dependent parent, parent is someone who prays. A dependent parent is someone who knows, no matter what I do, I can only touch the externals, only God can touch the internals. Unless God speaks to them, they won't experience him. Unless God wakes up their spirit, they won't wake up to him. All I can touch is the outsides. Only God can touch the insides. Out of that comes prayer. And that's what you got to do. Now, some of you are thinking, well, yeah, Chris. And, and, and so I want to just take off a, a burden of guilt here because some, some of you are sitting here and you're looking at me and you're thinking, well, I bet you that guy, of course, his kids are going to turn out good because he spends an hour every day praying for his kids. I know some of you think that, even if you wouldn't verbalize it. And I felt like the Lord told me today, give him a reality check, okay? So here's the reality check. I don't pray for my kids for an hour every day, Okay? I don't even pray for them an hour every week. <gasps> Gasp! People falling into the aisles. <laughs> See, some of you have this, un it's just a bizarre, you know, expectation of what it means to be godly independent. No, I don't know. I don't have a calendar. I don't, it's not, this is not mechanical. But I, you know, I was thinking this morning, I was praying, okay, Lord, because this last week I spent some time praying for them again. And, you know, maybe, and so I'm just throwing a number out there. It's not the number that's important. I'm just trying to help you see so you don't have a burn of guilt on you. I, I probably, you know, there's probably devotion times maybe two, four, two to four times a month maybe where I'll just take the whole time like I did this, this week and I'm, I'm not, then I'll take an hour or an hour and a half or whatever and I'll just pray for my kids and I'll just be burdened for them and I'll just say, Lord, you need to work in them. And the rest of the time I'm just carrying around, it's like an unspoken prayer. I feel their need for God. I feel it. And when I walk to church, it's not like I'm always thinking about them but sometimes God brings them to mind and I just feel it and I say, Lord, Lord if you don't do something in joy, if you don't do something, Charlie, if you don't do something, Eden, Lord, they'll never know you. I can't do anything. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a burn of guilt here. You've got to pray hours and hours every day for your kids or they're doomed. No, no, no. This is renewal. But this is when you're a dependent parent, those kind of prayers will explode out of you from time to time. They will. That's how you know that you're a dependent parent. Anyway, that was supposed to be just one point of a message here, and that kind of became the whole thing. So let's uh, finish this off. So you're saying, well, I'm not a parent. But by the way, first of all, you're not a parent. So what? These all, these all apply to you. You need God in your heart. There's no guarantees bad things aren't going to happen to you. How are you going to get a love for God? You're not going to work it up. You're going to have to have him do it. There's some prayer. There's a whole bunch of things there for you, even if you're not a parent. But let me finish this message now. God is also not just bigger than your parenting. Hallelujah. Thank God. Oh, love it. That is hope. That is dependency. All there. But God is also bigger than your dis- disappointments. Genesis 39, verse 1. So now we start at verse 1 of this chapter. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, brought him, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And that's the last verse I'm going to read here today. Such a small little verse. Such a small little verse, but it encapsulates so much experience and heartbreak, doesn't it? And again, we're so familiar with this story, we just... Whew, Oh yeah, of course, Joseph got bought by, you know, Potiphar. I knew that was coming. I know how this ends. And we just skim over, we just, we don't read right past it. Joseph was bought. A human being was bought by another human being. I I told you some stats before, but think about what that was like for Joseph. We just skim over it. Joseph was bought by Potiphar. Well, think about what Joseph went through. Those 
those, just those few little words. What was that like? 17-year-old boy, out of nowhere, ripped away from his family and everything he knows, everything that's familiar with him. He's standing. I, I did a bunch of reading this week on slavery in, in Egypt in ancient times. You know, slavery in Egypt in ancient times, that was, that was no picnic. Okay, Joseph will have gone to a market somewhere. Probably he was naked. I mean, talk about degrading and humiliating. You're standing there and people are looking at you and you don't know who's going to buy you or for what they're going to use you for. And they're looking you up and down, totally humiliating, totally degrading, totally terrifying. Most slaves in Egypt in those days were sold off into the copper and gold mines in southern Egypt where the conditions were so horrible, so brutal, that dozens of people were dying in those mines every single day of heat, exhaustion, beatings. I mean, it was just horrendous, okay? Now, Joseph doesn't get sold into the mines. He gets sold to Potiphar for domestic work, so that's a lot better than the mines. And someone might say, well, lucky for him, but it wasn't lucky, was it? Because this Joseph who's standing there naked and degraded and humiliated and ashamed in that marketplace, in that place of disaster, and where has my life gone, and how did it get this bad? In that place, even there, God was in control the whole time, wasn't he? And he knew exactly who was going to buy Joseph, and for what? For his bigger purposes. Potiphar thinks he's making a choice. Potiphar thinks, I'm choosing which ones I want and which ones I don't want. And he's going, I like that one, not that one. And he doesn't see the massive, invisible, lurking hand of God behind all of his choices, carrying out his plans. And it was written in stone. Potiphar thinks he's making a choice. He doesn't realize that it was written in stone long before exactly who he would buy and what would happen with him. God was in control in that whole thing in the marketplace. And so Potiphar buys him. But this now, we think about it from Joseph's point of view. This is just like, is it a few days? Is it a couple of weeks? Is it a month? He just had a dream. Not one dream. He has two dreams. Not one dream. One dream would be kind of like, was that yesterday's enchiladas? Was that really God? Maybe that was just me. Two dreams is God making this clear that he is speaking to Joseph. Joseph has two dreams. Everyone's going to bow down to you. He's got this dream from God. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be important. I'm going to be used by God to do great things. And I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to be the king. And he got it from God. He knew it was from God. And just like, is it a few days? Is it a couple weeks? Right after that, he's naked and degraded and humiliated and ashamed being sold as a slave. You know how big of a gap that is between king and slave? And you know what that gap is called? You know what the gap is called between what you're expecting and wanting to have happen to you and what's actually happening to you? That's called disappointment. That's what disappointment is. It's the gap between what you expected to have happen, what you wanted to have happen, and what actually happened. That's disappointment. And the bigger the gap is, the bigger your disappointment. So I can say here pretty safely today, I don't think anybody's ever experienced bigger disappointment than Joseph. I mean, there are many people in history, no doubt, that have experienced the same level of disappointment. But I don't think it's possible to get bigger because there is no bigger gap than between king and slave. To expect and know God spoke to me about this and now here I am as this. That's disappointment. Now next week we're going to look at the fact that Joseph overcame this disappointment. And there's a number of reasons why. 
very important reasons. But there's just one thing I want to look at today because I know there's people here today that have, have, have disappointment here today with them. I know there's people, I talk to people all the time, people, and God spoke to them, right? And he gave you a dream. He met with you. It was in the Bible. It was at a conference. It was in a worship time. And he, he put a dream on your heart. He put a dream on your heart to do some big ministry, to start something. Or he put a dream on your heart to, to help someone. There was these guys who were addicted to something or they were poor and you were going to rescue them and you were going to disciple them. And he put this dream on your heart to help them. Or he put a dream on your heart to start a business and take a step of faith or, or whatever it is. But he put a dream on your heart I'm going to be used by God. I'm going to be useful. I'm going to start this thing up. I'm going to lead this thing. I'm going to minister in this thing. And I'm going to do this for God. He put that dream in your heart. And then before you know it, here you are, and you're in the slave market, and everything is falling apart, and nothing is as you thought it would be. Nothing. And it's not that you had bad intentions. You had good intentions. Joseph had a dream from God. You had a dream from God. You were going to do this all for God. You were going to give him the business. You were going to give him the money. You were going to use the ministry to glorify him. All of it was for God and from God. And here you are, and it turned out nothing how you thought it was going to turn out. That's disappointment. And it's right here that this is so dangerous for Christians because it's right in here when the disappointment is big that disillusionment and bitterness creeps in for so many believers. And it's right here we see it happen all the time. Christians get disappointment. They feel called to something. They step out in faith to do something and they end up over here and it's right here that many of them short circuit for the rest of their lives. They get bitter. They don't stop going to church. That's the, that's the amazing thing to me. Most of them don't stop going to church. They keep going to church for the rest of their life. But underneath it all, they have made a little vow to themselves and they say, I'll never do that again. I'll never make myself vulnerable again. I'll never make myself vulnerable and try to help someone in need again like that because I just got hurt. I'll never take a step of faith like that. I'll never listen for God's voice again. That's too risky. I'll never take a step of faith to start a business or start a ministry or step out and do this or that. I'll never hope like that again. I'll keep going to church, but underneath it all, subconsciously, I'm mad at God. Because disappointment and disillusionment have cut in. Like I said, next week we're going to talk about Joseph doesn't, get, doesn't go there. He rises above it. But for today, I just want to finish with this one truth. So there's other things that are important to know about this as well, but there's one thing you need to know about this, and that is this. God is not just master of your dreams. He's also master of your disappointments. He's not just master of your dreams. You thought he was master of your dream, and then you thought everything fell apart, so you don't know. Does God not love me? Did I mess up? Did I hear wrong? You get disillusioned, you get bitter. Things didn't work out. God, I'm mad. But what you don't realize is the same God who gave you the dream is the same God who gave you the disappointment. God gave Joseph the dream. Who, who put Joseph into slavery? God. He used other people's choices, but God added it was all part of his plan. He's not just master of your dreams. He's master of your disappointments. He's just as in control in your disappointments as he is in your dreams. And here's the thing. God almost always, when he gives someone a dream, he almost always, before he can take them to that dream, must first take them through a valley and wound them over and over and over again. Why? There's many reasons, and only God knows each person in each situation. But one of the big reasons is because in our pride and self-reliance, we are actually a danger to his plans. He gives you the dream. He gives you the dream long in advance because he wants you someday to be able to look back and see that it was all God all along. 
But he doesn't give you the dream because you're ready right then to go and just be who he wants you to be. You've got pride, you've got self-reliance. Think of how the self-righteous tattletale Joseph was. If God puts him in charge of Egypt, if God puts him in charge of Egypt and makes his brothers bow down to him when he's 17 years old, he's not going to use that for good. He's going to use it for bad. God gives him the dream so later on he can look back and see God's hand at work in his life. He gives him the dream, but he doesn't give it to him because he's ready. He gives him the dream and then he puts him in the slave market because he has to wound him first to make him the kind of person who can be a king. And some of you are sitting here today and you, it just turned out exactly opposite. You had the dream. It's exactly opposite. You don't see how God can be in it. If he was in the slave market with Joseph, if he was in control in the slave market with Joseph, he's in control of your disaster too. And Joseph's looked the exact opposite of the dream. Yours might look the exact opposite of the dream. That doesn't mean God's not master of your disappointments. And you're not ready to be used by God until you can say like Job, will we, will we accept good from God and not evil? We must be willing to accept both from him and then he can use us. Let's, let's pray. I want to pray for you. Bow your heads with me today. I want to pray for some of you as parents. I want to pray for some of you as disappointed. And some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, I'm neither of those. Just wait. That's good news. I'm good news Dirksen today, right? I'm not a parent. I'm not disappointed. Just wait. You will be one or both, very likely. Certainly the second one at some point in your future. Heavenly Father, I want to lift up parents today. Today is a word of hope for parents. It's a word of hope that you are bigger than our parenting. You are carrying the burden of our children's eternities. Yes, Jesus, you are. And you are bigger than we are. Thank you. We give you that burden today. I know that there are moms and there are dads sitting here right now today. Jesus, I need to give you that burden. They are carrying heaven and hell for their kids. And they're worried about screwing up and they're worried about not being spiritual enough. And Jesus, you want to lift that burden here this morning as I pray and as we worship in just a moment. Jesus, I pray that you would give them a new revelation of how big you are. You went with Joseph when, when, when he was far out of his dad's protection. You were with him. And he thrived because of you. When the parenting stopped, you were still there. Help us with that, Jesus. And for those that are here today and they're there in the disappointment, they're bordering on disillusion. Some of them are full-fledged bitter. Oh, Jesus, you are master of our disappointments, not just of our dreams. As we sing this next song, Lord, I pray that you would restore our souls by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.